Hi, good evening, everybody. Uh, we are here, Erev Rosh Hashanah. Um, this is a, a, a drosha. This is not a shir. So um, you all, um, it's. It, I've never given a, a, a Rosh Hashanah drosha on uh, on Zoom before. So let's just try and um, appreciate what we're trying to achieve this evening, which is um, for those of you who won't be in shul, and many of you will be in shul, and. Um, Whatever you're going to be doing, there's no question that Rosh Hashanah this year is going to be somewhat different from every other year. And the question that we dealt with last night in our shir was uh, this, how does one make Rosh Hashanah meaningful, you know, in this in this context? So we chatted about it over there and we talked about the fact that it's sometimes when everything gets ripped away from you, that it gives you an opportunity to truly appreciate things that uh, ordinarily you don't. But I, I wanted to take maybe a different... Um, Different look at the uh, the festival of uh, Rosh Hashanah, and look at it from a certain angle of something that we uh, sort of do every year, but don't always uh, appreciate necessarily the halachic reasons behind it and the rationale behind why we do things. So, for us who live in the diaspora, a two day yontif is something that isn't unique. We have two day yontifs all the time, consistently. We have two day yontifs, two days Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, Shmini Yatzeret, Simchas Torah. Um, the only days that we don't have the rabbinic ones, there's no two days of Purim and there's no two days of Hanukkah or extra days of Hanukkah. And uh, Yom Kippur, mainly because it's not possible. It's just, it just wouldn't be feasible for us to fast two days. But Rosh Hashanah is uh, two days for everyone. Everyone in Israel has to keep two days as well. And it has an interesting halachic ramification that this two-day yontif. Because if you go to make Kiddush on uh, second night Pesach, so you make the Kiddush, and then you make, at the end of uh, Kiddush, you do Shekhiyanu, Kiyamani Vigyalans Manaseh. So first night Pesach, we do that, and second night Pesach, we also do that. Now the Baruch of Shekhiyanu, you should appreciate it, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Blessed are you, King God, King of the Universe, Shekhiyanu, that has caused us to live, from Urchai, Vikiyamanu, and sustained us, Vigyanu Lazmanaseh, and has allowed us to arrive at this auspicious time. And therefore, the Baruch of Sheikh Yanu is one that is in, in one of two occasions. One, when you are fortunate to experience something that, that gives you a lot of simcha. So, in, uh, <coughs> a good example is uh, giving birth. So, there's the blessing of Sheikh Yanu, giving birth to a girl, you bake a Sheikh Yanu to a boy, it's a different bracha. But uh, Sheikh Yanu, so something gives you joy. If you purchase a new garment, that you get a lot of simcha from. So you make a bracha shechianu. When you eat a fruit for the first time that you haven't eaten it in this season, so it's supposed to give you a lot of nachas, uh, so you make a shechianu. And anything that gives you a lot of simcha, this bracha, that is a, a bracha of, let's call it hakaratatov, of appreciation. Something really good is happening for you. And you say, bracha Hashem, that I survived to this point to be able to appreciate it. So that's one sort of realm of making shechianu. The second Shekhyanu is one that we make when uh, times come, that it's, it's based not so much on, on Simcha, but it's based much more on uh, the annual cycle of the world. So Shekhyanu that we make with regards to every festival, or with the first time we do a mitzvah on a festival. So for example, on, on Pesach, we, at the night, we'll make the Shuan Shekhyanu Kiddush, and that will cover all the other mitzvot at night. But on uh, Sukkot, you make a bracha, a Kiddush at night, which is to cover the Chag, uh, as well as the Sukkah. But when you shake Lulav the next day, you make another Shekhyanu. And so we're going to make Shekhyanu tomorrow night for the Chag, but we're going to make another Shekhyanu during the day for the Shofar. So 
the, the, those sort of shechianos um, are there not so much because I'm, I am so happy that I that I'm fulfilling the mitzvah of shofar, which you know, like all other mitzvahs, one would hope and uh, pray that there's a certain level of simcha associated with it. But it's not a it's not a law of simcha per se. Sim, that's that's one kind of shechianos. This is much more a law of uh, of just the time has come. It's a it's a time relevant sort of experience. So when the time has come, and we've made the the blessing. The, the the opportunity to make the blessing on the same thing again. So if I just ate a, a mango, I haven't had a mango this season, so we make a shechianu. Now I'm going to have, tomorrow I'm going to have another mango. So you don't make a shechianu because you made one yesterday. You have to wait till something else that will bring you a certain level of joy. And that's the general rule. Same thing with uh, mitzvot. If I've made a shechianu on, on the, the mitzvah once, you, and you're going to do the mitzvah again, so you can't make another shechianu. It becomes a bit of a problem. And... What happens every Pesach, uh, Shavuot, and Sukkot is that um, <coughs> because the second day of the Yontif is what you call a safek, it's a doubt. Is it second day? Is it first day? And maybe yesterday when we made Kiddush on first night Pesach, it wasn't really Pesach. So the Shechianu we made yesterday wasn't a real Shechianu. So we can make a Shechianu on the second night. And that's the same with all these, all these, uh, all the mitzvot that we do that are for this, what's called Sveka de Yoma. Yet for those of us in the diaspora, we have to keep two days Yontif. But since Rosh Hashanah is unique, because Rosh Hashanah is two days in Israel as well. And the whole question why Rosh Hashanah is two days, but what it comes down is that it's going to be a problem to make a Shechianu on second day Rosh Hashanah. Because it's not the same as second day. It's not, it, it's not built the same. It's the way the Talmud brings it out. It's called Yamada Richter. It's not so much two days as one extended long day. The same as like on, um, on uh, eighth day Pesach. Eighth day Pesach, we don't make a Shechianu because it's just an extension of Pesach. It's not a new festival. It's just an extension. So similarly over here, we have this idea that it's, it's an extension of the day. So you can't make a Shechianu on second night uh, Rosh Hashanah both on... Uh, on Kiddush, on candle lighting, and then uh, the next day on Shofar. This year it's only one day Shofar, but in a normal year where you, you don't have it on Shabbos. You, so this becomes a very new uh, minhag, well, not new, new, a new, new idea which doesn't exist in all the other Chagim. And that is the idea of having a new fruit or a new garment or something new around. So what will happen is you're going to go light candles on second night Rosh Hashanah or make Kiddush on second night Rosh Hashanah and you say, I'm going to make the bracha on Kiddush. Fine. Now I'm going to, make a, I'm going to take, have this fruit in mind. I've got this mango in mind. I'm going to say Shechianu on the, on the Kiddush but I'm going to have in mind the mango as well so that I'm saying the Shechianu on the mango not so much on the day. That's the whole idea. So that's where, if you've ever wondered where there's a concept of a new fruit on second night Rosh Hashanah, which does not exist, just to clarify, does not exist on all the other Chagim, but uniquely on Rosh Hashanah. So what becomes a little bit difficult to appreciate is, are we really, you know, the, the, the emotions of making the bracha of Shechianu, albeit that even for a Chag, it's not necessarily a, 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 a law of, of simcha. But nevertheless, how does one come and make a... Blessed are you, God, King of the universe, that has allowed me to survive and sustain me and brought me to this great time. You know, like how does one make a bracha at a time where you're not so happy that the situation is the situation? 
you're, in a, you're looking at the world as we, uh, as we look at it. And you say, I really don't, this is not a great time. I mean, we are fortunate here in Sydney. But for most of us is that our tables are going to be much sparser. And for those of us who have family overseas, no telling when we're going to see them again. And Rosh Hashanah is just, in many ways, it's, it's just uh, how does one get into the, the mood of, of the festival in such a way that can appreciate the, the differences that we feel in this particular year. So there's a beautiful story told by the Klosenberger Rebbe. The Klosenberger Rebbe was, uh, survived the Shoah. And the story goes, it was a, it was a Hanukkah story. And um, it was in one of the camps, if I'm not mistaken, he was in Auschwitz. And um, came Hanukkah, and they managed to scrape together a, a few potato peels and some, some grease and stuff to light Hanukkah candles. And they got together, and the Klosenberger Rebbe started lighting, and he made his first night Hanukkah, and he makes the bracha, Sheikh Rishanu Sitzabitzivan Ladlit Neosha Hanukkah, Allah Asher Sani Simlavotanu by Mimahemba's Manase. And then he paused before he made the third bracha of Sheikh Yanu. And he looked around at all the battered souls, you know, absolutely emaciated, skeletons of people standing around him. He takes a deep breath and he makes a Shechianu and he lights the, the last candle. And he lights the candles. And so the Hasidim come to him afterwards and they say, how do you make a bracha Shechianu? How do we say thank you, Hashem, for bringing us to this time, allowing us to arrive at this auspicious occasion? So the Klosenberger said, you know, for a moment, I was wondering that myself. You know, here we are in the camps, in the depths of despair. He says, but when I see Jews bound together, in the, despite the consequences of what it would happen if they were to catch us lighting Hanukkah candles, and in spite of all of that, they still prepared to do it. Thank God that I've arrived at such a time. And it, and it, it reminded me of, of an idea that we see in the, it's brought down in the Shulchan Aruch. So when you, when you go to a funeral, um, when the person tears Kriya, there's a blessing they make. Baruch Dayan Ha'emet. Blessed are you, the true judge. And if you hear very good news, there's a bracha that you make saying, Baruch Tov HaMetiv. So you've just won the, just won the lottery. So, oh, Baruch Tov HaMetiv. So why do we have to make a blessing on bad tidings? Someone passes away. Baruch, the true judge. Why do we make the blessing? So there are three explanations I've heard. One is that really, there's no such thing as bad things. In fact, everything is for the good. And even though we can't appreciate at this point in time, why it's good. Um, nevertheless, we acknowledge the fact that there's a divine will and Gamzulutova. Everything be good, and that's why we make the blessing. That's one idea. The second idea is no, bad is bad, bad things happen. And nevertheless, to acknowledge the fact that it's not as if, like uh, other faiths, believe that there's a, another force out there that is doing bad in the world. It all comes from Hashem. Good and bad comes from Hashem. And there's a Gezara, there's a decree that when bad things happen, you have to make a blessing. But I heard from Arashi Shiva um, a different idea, which, and he says, he says, you know, the person's getting a beating and they're going through a rough time. But is it all bad? Is there no bracha in this person's life 
the fact that they're able to utter a blessing, the fact that they are, have the strength of character to be able to be, have the integrity to live by their values despite the fact that they are going through really rough times. He says, that's why we make the blessing. It's to acknowledge that even though at times we, we find ourselves in situations which are far less than desirable, nevertheless the ability to be able to see the world in context, to be able to see our lives in context, to be able to say, you know what? 5780 has been a year of enormous bracha. Yeah, there's no question. It's been a year like no other. And people are struggling and people are suffering. And it is an incredibly difficult time. But how much bracha do we have? I can see my family, thank God, are healthy. I, 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 I can use my limbs. I have food on the table. I have uh, a roof over my head. Have electricity, unless you're living on the other side of Sanaves, in which case you don't have electricity. But we we have still so much to be grateful for. The fact that we can go to shul, that the fact that we that we have we living in a generation where we are in better times, a hop, skip, and a jump from going to Eretz Israel, something that our ancestors would never have dreamed of ever being able to do. That. It's so easy to fall into the self-pity of saying, Ah, oh, this year has been, you know, Kala Shanava, what's Shanava Kalotea, the year should end with all its curses. That we really need to be able to take a step back and say, you know, this, this year has been challenging. But I've grown closer to my family this year because this year's Pesach Seder, all I had were my kids. I had no guests. And so I was forced to, to engage in a way that in other years I, I don't have the opportunity. And we spent a lot more time under the, the, the roof and I had a lot more time to introspect. I had a lot more time to read. I had a lot more time to think. And albeit this was not a desirable year, not something that one would necessarily hope for, but the ability to be able to say, that this year has come and those of us that have survived the year, we have enormous amount to be grateful for. And that, that ability that come Rosh Hashanah to say it is a year that has been challenging, but it is a year that we've all survived, Kanan And that next year is a year that we're going to see how we can learn these lessons. The, the greatest tragedy of Corona will be that if we leave Corona the same way we came in. If we do not go through this experience, having changed and grown and developed and matured as people, then the whole thing was a waste. But I think, and when I speak to people, I, I, I tell you, one of the greatest things that has been for me during this uh, corona has been a nightmare to organize. is trying to organize Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur services at Shul. An absolute nightmare. It is logistical between the medical and the government and the Shul. But I can tell you one thing that has not been difficult at all, and that's working with the community. The community has been unbelievable. When people, I have not had one complaint. I have not had one person come and say, why didn't I get into the service? Or why can't this? Or why can't There's been this unbelievable kindness of people to one another, which we haven't seen. But Corona has brought part of, has brought the best of us out. So, yes, we don't want it. We don't want these environments. But it's a great opportunity to see, look, look what good has come out of it. And to deny that is, is to, to walk around with blinkers. So that we have arrived at a time, an auspicious time, where we can take count. You know, I titled this uh, drosha, um, you know, if we had only known then what we know now. 
So this last this time Rosh Hashanah last year, had we an inkling what might be around the corner, might we have done differently? Might we have uh, been a bit more, a bit kinder to one another, more considerate, more benevolent? And I think that's a question we can all ask. But now it's not a matter of looking back. The question is, what's going to happen this Rosh Hashanah? That we have an opportunity for us, <coughs> for most of us, to come to shul for a little bit of time, for a long time. And what's beautiful about the shul this year is there's not going to be any talking in shul. And the only people who are going to be in shul are those who want to daven. Because those who come for social realize that there's no social at shul. And some people are still coming, even though there's no social, which means they're coming purely to connect. And I think it's, that's the great opportunity that we have to have this year. It's interesting, the, uh, the, 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 the main shofar blast that we have in, uh, is the, called the teruah. So the, the way that the, the, the rabbis sort of divide up the whole concept of, um, of blown shofar is that there's a, the tikiot are supposed to bracket the main blast, which is the trua, which is the crying. So what a trua sounds like, does it sound like what we call a shvarim, or does it sound like what we call a trua, or is it a combination of the two, a shvarim, trua, but one or another, that's the main blast. But the word trua, which comes out in the Chumash a number of times, so what's the source of trua? What is the root of the word? So it's re'ah. Re'ah is a hafta l're'acha kamocha. It's, 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 it's having a certain level of uh, um, connection. A, a re'ah is a fellow. It's a friendship. It's a connection. It's Hashem, the us blowing through the shofar to connect to Hashem. Hashem to connect to us and for us to connect to one another. And so, I want to wish you all Gemar uh, Chatimatova. You should have a meaningful Rosh Hashanah. You should be able to uh, daven for the things that you, that you need and that the world needs. But also to be able to take count and appreciate the great bracha that you do have. And that please God next year we should all be together at the same time in the same service. And we should all be healthy. And we should all have a Gmar Khatimatova. Shana Tavai.